Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Hell in a Cell review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by Daddy Michael Hamflet from What Culture, discuss everything that happened at Hell in a Cell on Father's Day, of course. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Raw and SmackDown, but also NXT, AW Dynamite, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle as i said though joined by michael hamflet to review hell in a cell and not exactly the father's day gift i'd hope to give you to be honest mate so bad like the show was so bad um it, it wasn't it wasn't so like hilariously awful in that i felt like it fed us like us greedy little content elves with a load of stupid moments that we could look back on at the end of the year or in the rundowns of lists that we sometimes do or things. I wasn't one of them. It was just, it was just everything that's so bloody unremarkable about WWE, like at least once a week. There was such a Monday night raw energy to this. And I think, and I don't think unreasonably so, I think me and you are very reasonable people when it comes to WB pay-per-views. Hmm. I think we would both agree there's always more good than bad on a show. I think in an in a, a like an annual cycle, there's probably more good shows than bad. There's a hmm. few turkeys along the way, but by and large, pay-per-views are more often better than worse. Like this was just such an emotionless evening. I don't really have, have it in me to feel particularly angry at what a bad show this was, but this was such a bad show. I dare say I'll get crosser as we go through it match by match, but just a just a deeply unsatisfying time. I I, I kind of I don't know. I'll try and think of other ways to articulate how, like how this made me feel because I'm not sure I felt anything for how bland and dispiriting this was. I kept thinking to myself. You know what the show really needs? It's just like a like really emotional and evocative main event. But they've spaffed it out on telly on Friday. Yeah. And that didn't make the situation any better, did it? Like the whole show felt like it was in desperate need of something as big as what they gave away on Friday night. And I don't know. I never thought they shook that off the entire event. I, uh, I was going to say the exact same thing of like, I'm not saying obviously it's going to improve the mood of 
heel slash baby face wins, but you've at least gone, oh, jeez. They, they like, they kept that tight. It was like, what, 15, 20 minutes, probably Roman versus Ray. They just beat the crap out of each other. Ray had a clear strategy of not just, oh, I'll just make this match go along for the sake of it. No, he wants to get Roman out there as soon as possible and use any weapon at his disposal to get there. Yeah, it felt like that was a real misstep. And you know, I know why they wanted to do it and they're probably going to pop a huge rating or whatever off the back of it or, you know, whatever justifications it was. But yeah, it just left this this pay-per-view really, really struggling. And I described this to Phil in our What Went Down. I said, it reminds me of when I decide I'm going to go on a diet or I'm going to be good and I'm going to you know do this New Year's resolution. But before I do that, I'll have one like cheat day, one really bad day, or usually with me, a bloody week or a weekend. And they feel like they've gone, right, well, fans are coming back. In four weeks' time, we've got money in the bank. That's going to have fans that's going to have expectation. That's maybe going to have a few big returns. So I like to get all the really bad stuff out right now, as if they haven't been doing it for the past sodding year or so. Um, I'm going to very briefly mention the kickoff. Natalia beat Mandy Rose with a really shoddy sharpshooter for someone who comes out to Bret Hart's music, if I'm perfectly honest, and just kills that entire few dead. And I don't really know who the baby face was and was meant to be in that match. So we're not even going to talk about it because it was crap and it was straight out of Monday Night Raw. And that's not a compliment. Uh, but we started with unquestionably the match of the night. Bianca Belair versus Bailey, Hell in a Cell match, SmackDown Women's Championship. We had two matches on this show for both women's titles with really bad builds, really poor, like, what's your thing? Laughing. What's your thing? We're both crap at beat the clock matches. One of them, just in case I forget to mention it now, one of them just neglected to mention that entire piece of storytelling from Monday Night Raw that we've been spoon-fed for the last few weeks. I hated the build, obviously, to Bianca Belair versus Bailey, But as we always say, put them in a ring, give them 20 minutes, and they'll produce stuff like this. Yeah, this is pretty great. Like, um, the it, there were elements of this match where I felt, a little bit sorry for Bianca Belair and Bailey because there were spots that I feel they'd already had in mind. And then on Friday afternoon, somebody said, oh, you know, whatever you've got in mind for your match, are you going to have to put her in a cell on top of it all? Mm. So they had to take, like a lot of the hair stuff, I think would have featured prominently or there might have been more build to those spots in particular because those could have existed without being surrounded by a cell. Mm. But then all of a sudden it was like, right, now we need to wrap some cell spots around it. Um, and I just thought the what what Bailey like Bianca Belair was really really good here, mm. but this was such a veteran ring general performance from Bailey, and she did it with such flair as well. She was doing things in the match to tacitly put over Bianca Belair when Bianca Belair did them better. Mm. A couple of examples: um, Bailey was setting up the kendo sticks, and it was at this point that Michael Cole was saying, "Oh, everybody." I don't know what you could make on commentary during the stream with Phil, but like he was saying things like, you know, oh, this is this is what Bailey does. Like she knows how to use the environment. And Bailey's going, you don't need to tell them, Michael. They know. They watch me. They know. And then sure enough, it's Bianca that puts her through the sticks because Bianca's the smart test. Um, Bailey selling the weight of the steel steps just to try and get them in the ring to do something. 
and then Bianca Belair picks them up with ease, press slams them over the top rope and throws them at Bailey because mm-hmm. she's the strongest. And then she comes back, she misses like the 450 splash, but is able to immediately rebound on it and finish Bailey off on top of that ladder because she's the quickest mm. and flashiest and all of that sort of stuff. All of that is because of these seeds that Bailey has planted throughout so that Bianca Belair can be the one to sprout. And I just, like, I really appreciated the architecture of a match that was, like, it wasn't perfect. I felt like it was a little bit condescending at points. Um, Bianca Belair is almost a little too good at the NXT finishing school stuff. Mm-hmm. The reactions to kick out, the staring at your hands, all that kind of thing. Like, I dare say that's just a sign of more things to come in the in the dim dark future that some people are just going to be that way because that was what was really instilled upon them in the in the like in the, in the NXT system. But it didn't ruin the match. Um, really, really strong stuff. Uh, the closest thing on this card that like a pro, I don't think this was like great with a capital G, but it was the closest thing on this card that approached that. It was the only thing that got anywhere near it. And like maybe the most important important point of all is the one you've already made. Um, this week-to-week booking is miserable. And yet there are certain wrestlers that are a bit of a safety bet come the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And Bianca Belair and Bailey are two of those. Bailey in particular. Like real unbelievable workhorse performance from her tonight that just gave Bianca Belair's spots all the shine. Mm, absolutely, you know. Spectacular finish, that KOD onto a, an already sort of open ladder, rough as. But Bianca Belair emerges victorious and can continue on and exciting to see where it goes next. Contrast that with the Raw Women's Championship match, which we will get to, sweet Jesus. But before we get to that, it was Seth Rollins versus Cesaro. And I really enjoyed this. I'm going to say this for a few matches. Really enjoyed this. And then the finish came. What did you make of it all? God, what an awful finish. I It was basically, I, I was going to say call to arms, but it was more like a cry for help. It was a cry for help on the Raw Review podcast the other week when I was just, I was begging for WWE to go like a month where I don't have to see a wrestler celebrating a victory. Almost certainly after Michael Cole said that they stole them one, the commentator said they stole them one, mm-hmm. celebrating the victory on the arse on the arena floor. Like I want to see wrestlers celebrating victories in the ring, on the posts, holding up the titles or with their arms in the air. I don't want to see them escaping with like mm-hmm. the winner's purse in a swag bag, effectively, which is what Seth Rollins did here. And it was particularly disappointing in the manner of which it happened. Um, I thought it was an, like a, a pretty good match. Like they didn't have like, if you think about the WrestleMania match, like so much of that was elevated by the live crowd mm-hmm. and yeah. how awesome... Like and how awesomely timed the UFO was, and how awesome it looked, and just making Cesaro feel like this this top star again. Um, this time they had to do it just through like the force of will of their work, because there wasn't that live crowd to bounce off. They just had to like really really work from it. I thought they were doing a pretty good job of it. Um, and then I would, like started to have my doubts because Seth was like, "Oh no, what can I do to beat him?" All that kind of thing. And then Cesaro's rebound where he just became this like take no version of himself. Like that little closing salvo was amazing. Like he went into the sharpshooter and then he pivoted into the cross face and then he reverted back into the sharpshooter. And then as he felt Seth countering it, he twisted out of it and tried to break Seth's arms. Mm. And it appeared he was actually doing it. And then Seth used those broken arms to Mm. 
dropping in a wrestling hold that didn't even look particularly tight in its execution, and Cesaro got pinned by it. Like, I cannot fathom who thinks that's good. Like, I, I've come to accept that content churn means that we need to get pairings over and over again. I wish it wasn't the case, but SmackDown wants one more Seth Rollins Cesaro match or whatever. Like, it, you know, the commentators were big on saying, oh, he's, he's leveled it up, you know, it's 1-1 one, one or whatever it was. But Seth just rolling to the floor, having won with a piss-weak cradle that Michael Cole said was stolen, like only serves to make both men look mm. like losers. And what is the point? Like I checked the match time off this. But what is the point of 16 of those very, very like forcibly worked minutes if the final three seconds are as pathetic and mm. undermining as that, as that finish was? Like, And it's not the only example, as you're going to point out, but like just another like unmitigated disaster of an ending to a match where the wrestlers deserve better. Like it's so familiar and it's so draining to have to say it over and over again. Yeah, it's it's also the the fact of this isn't going to be like, oh, well, no, when I look back in two months or uh, six months or a year's time and I'm going to go, all I remember from that is the cradle to the finish. Oh, mm. like, tomorrow, that's all I remember. Like, I enjoyed spots, I enjoyed the swing, and I loved, yeah, that, that uh, submission, submission uh, counters and, and and mixing it up that we saw from that and all that. But like you say, all I remember is, you know, I won't remember the glove getting shoved in Seth Rollins' mouth or Seth Rollins targeting that, like, Kinesio tape and ripping it off so he's, he can't even have any sort of support player. I won't remember any of that. I'll remember... Breaking both of his arms and then him going, oh, it turns out they're all right. Get getting a cradle, one, two, three. And then, yeah, and people say like I saw people saying that, uh, yeah, but he did jump in as part of the entrance. Well, Cesaro got the better of that exchange. Yeah. And and they well, to be fair, Seth Rollins is not one all because uh, Cesaro's beaten him loads of times on TV. Well, they said on commentary, even I could pull picked up on that, that they went, yeah, 50-50. They literally basically said 50-50. What a load of piss. It cut briefly back to the panel as well. And I thought this was the most telling sort of way in which this match evidently failed. Like they, they cut back to the panel and the panel were briefly discussing it. And Bradshaw obviously had this like written down on a piece of paper before the, the match even started because, it, you know, there's a certain safety bet that Cesaro and Seth Rollins was going to be. And he was he basically saying, wow, that was awesome. That was like, they'll should go backstage now and say, follow that. And I just imagine them saying, follow that. And whoever was to come next going, um, okay. Like, and not feeling it to be... It's not like exactly Shawn Michaels in 1995 sitting it while he's in the mid-card. It's like, sometimes going, follow that stolen victory. And like, Shayna and Alexa and Naya and Reginald going, yeah, I think we can, actually. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, just strolling past them in Gorilla. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't because it was Alexa Bliss oh. and Shayna <laughs> Baszler. Who, I think Shayna was meant to be the baby face on this. I don't know anymore with half of these sodding feuds. Shania was accompanied by Nia Jackson Reginald because reasons. And yeah, I, I you know, I was, I was having a back and forth with the comment section a little bit uh, on our live stream for this. Cause I was like, like, I know some of you guys like this, but a lot of people don't. And I, you know, the nicest thing I can say is it's divisive, but yeah, again, I just despise this because it's the age old thing of like, so she can possess people now. Yeah. They just have to look in her eyes. Right. So what? How does that stop anyone? Because, like, it's maybe okay when, like, 
And when Bray Wyatt did it to Xavier Woods, and it was a bit like, it was quite a nice little, like, wrinkle to the story. It wasn't like he was going to get him to suddenly turn around and stab Kofi Kingston or something. <laughs> but he was just kind of weak, weak-minded was, the, was the, the sort of overarching thing. Now, Reginald averts his eyes. Shayna Baszler is doing that contortionist thing, which did look awesome, of like trying to break Alexa's arm, but because Alexa's like double jointed, you can make it look really horrific and what have you. But she just looked at, uh, at Shayna Baszler, a former cage fighter, uh, you know, you know, record-breaking NXT women's champion. Just let her go. And then, honestly, that doink the clown mime bit with the... You move your hand here, and then you go, Rah! and then you twat Reginald across the face. And in the midst of all this, I don't know, Shane is still recovering from whatever she got hit with. And then she gets hit with Sister Abigail and Sparkle Splash. And that's it. And I hated it. Yeah. I mean, like, there was a couple of, like, decent bits of offense I think is the most generous I can be here. Like a couple, I really like. They've not figured out yet how to um, pace out one of these Alexa Bliss has got magical powers matches. So, like the selling is just all over the place. Like her selling mimics that of like a heart rate on her going up and down in a hospital drama. Because one minute she sells everything, the next minute she sells nothing. Mm. And there seems to be more consistency between when she's hurt and when she's not. So, like, Shayna starts off with these, like, furious attacks. And then Alexa appears to just laugh them off. So she's absolutely fine and nothing can stop her. And then it turns out for, like, little portions of the match, stuff actually can stop her. And she goes down and she takes some punishment. And then she's fine again. And, it, like, they've not figured that out at all. You know, this this feels very like the whole presentation of these Alexa Bliss matches when they have matches feels really rehearsed. It feels like they're moving from one stage to another stage to another stage. That's not to say there weren't little bits of decent work in between them. I, like you, couldn't not be impressed with the way they used Alexa's double jointedness. Mm. I think there was a certain um and I thought this, you know, thought it's on Raw as well. She's trying. There was a certain kind of like charm to a movement around the ring you know her attempt to like fold her arms and legs under one another it, it's a visual which is like beyond your imagination that is needed to believe a position you know um i liked there was a shot where um alexa sat up almost like undertaker like and then like threw like her arms on like a discus motion and just walloped shana baszler in the chest and just like she looked like physically domineering for a second, as if she had been consumed by some sort of magic powers. I think there's like tiny little things that she's trying to make it work because she's all in. Alexa Bliss is like all in on this thing and is just trying to make it make sense. And then you have, yeah, things like her working out of a lockup or hitting the twisted bliss, the old sparkle splash, when seconds earlier she has controlled somebody's brain with her eyes. Like why go to the twisted bliss when you could why do anything at all when you can control people with your eyes like i want to have a backstage segment where adam page has to sanction alexa bliss for tonight's spontaneous main event and then she just looks at him and he says oh yeah can i have an early finish just get a set away like she does this thing that renders every single element of the show meaningless 
Mm. And I go from this to Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley later on. They're having a match, mindful that somebody backstage can control anybody with their eyes. Winning the WWE Championship would be the least of my worries. <laughs> like, if you had this power, I would say politely, because I really enjoy this, I don't feel comfortable doing these podcasts with you over on, because I'm a little bit worried that if I keep looking at you, you're going to make me do things I don't want to do because you can control my brain with your eyes. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I will not take false equivalencies with The Undertaker anymore. Like, nobody should. Um, there's still a Nancy element to it. It's not on. <laughs> like, that's still a bit weird. Why doesn't she just do this to absolutely everybody to get everything, every single thing she wants? And if she can do it, why is she just bothering hanging around <laughs> in progress? And because she could take over it. It's so stupid. I quite like to feel the punches and weird twisty arm holes. <laughs> it also wasn't weird enough. Yeah. If we're going to be critical, it wasn't weird enough. You had portions that were just a wrestling match. <laughs> like this was the last opportunity they had really had to go daft and they didn't take it. So even, again, on those parameters, it's a pretty crushing disappointment, I think. <laughs> it's not what the producers and directors of the Swamp Fight would have wanted when mm. they first cast Alexa Bliss, Cox in hand, to be a special guest, Sister Abigail in that match. This is not what they would have wanted. But it is still available, I think, for £600 on Cameo. So there you go. <laughs> Let's move on. (laughs) Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Let's move on. Let's talk about Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. I could watch these guys fight forever, ironically. Um, And I still don't really know whether Kevin Owens is legitimately hurt. We obviously hope he's not, but he's so damn good at selling. It could be the case. I've got mixed emotions about this, and I shouldn't, because I want Sami Zayn to go on to get some momentum as he heads towards Money in the Bank and the inevitable briefcase win, of course. But 
yeah, I just felt like, oh, cool, another just 50-50 from WrestleMania then. But it's Sami Zayn, so I'm kind of slightly more allowing for it. And also him just bollocking Michael Cole afterwards always put a smile on my face. Yeah, um, you say 50-50 at WrestleMania. I love that this was the second match on the card that was a WrestleMania rematch that didn't take place at a show called WrestleMania Backlash. Love mm-hmm. that. Huge fan of that. Third, sorry, third. That was right, because Drew and Lashley didn't have a singles rematch at WrestleMania Backlash either, did they? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, three matches. Um, yeah, like, I like this in spite of myself. Plot was, Kevin Owens has a cough. <laughs> like, shouldn't really work on paper, but it really did. It really did. Um, these two have no right to still be having great matches when they're up to match number 1064 at this point and that the plot is Kevin Owens has a cough and yet this was really surprisingly great I was rooting and they teased out so well I was rooting for Kevin Owens to win by count out after mm. he hit that stunner because I just thought it would have been so funny for Sami Zayn to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory as he almost did mm. like really great tease they found a way, as they often do, to do the bumps that they always do for one another. I'm thinking of like the violent German suplex, the particularly crushing, head-crushing haluva kick, oh, um, the awesome blue thunderbomb, et cetera, et cetera. All the stuff they always do for each other. They always find new ways to incorporate them into the matches. Really terrific. Um, Owens was looking like dated reference, dated reference that probably you and almost nobody else will know. Kids TV show Nightmare from the early 90s when as you started to fall away, bits of your body fell off. That was what was like, somebody had like crushed Kevin Owens' larynx and then they'd pulled his arm off and he was still <laughs> insisting on like, you know, trying to work through the pain and really believe the cell. And then it was almost like had Sami Zayn given Kevin Owens some breathing room, the referee would have stopped the match, mm. but Zayn didn't. And as he was shouting karma, like, I almost fooled myself into thinking there was a bit of hashtag LTST here because this was the plot of the NXT takeover match in reverse. Kevin Owens beat yeah, Sammy on, on our thing, yeah. to, a, to the point of a stoppage to take his title. And by the end, Sami Zayn could have had that stoppage and instead booted his head off instead and then screamed karma, karma, as if more than just a million conspiracies that floating around his head, he needed this type of specific, I'm probably being too kind to them, but it, they, these two will have certainly enjoyed being able to like offer that callback that he needed this specific type of win. How they've flipped the babyface heel dynamic that Sami Zayn is the cruel one and Kevin Owens is the guy trying to fight through it. Legitimately impressive work on their behalf. Um, like, yeah, in just like what a show this was as an example for this, like just in the face of so much systemic failure, I think that only made this match an even greater success. Yeah, I've got to agree. And I've got the exact same thing of, I think I said it like, I don't know how they've got, I don't know if they got to the point where you're there going, oh, poor Kevin Owens. Yeah. But um, yeah, and that, let's yell that a little kick. They showed it from about four different angles. They were so oh, happy with it. And uh, yeah, Sami Zayn rolls on to Money in the Bank. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you what, there isn't a chance of, though. Us getting away from this sodding Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley feud. As Like I said, the promo video for it neglected to mention that there has been weeks upon weeks upon weeks of Beat the Clock challenges or Nikki Cross's involvement in all this. But regardless, you know, Bianca and, and Bailey had shown, doesn't matter what's got you here, let's just get on with it. 
and doesn't need stipulations. They didn't need necessarily Hell in a Cell for that match. It complemented it with the way that they worked it. But like you say, I think they would have been fine without it regardless. Nothing was saving this match, though. Sweet Jesus. Um, again, no idea who I'm meant to be cheering for. I've, I've known that for, for months. And, you know, Charlotte's being unbearable and saying she's teaching her lessons in the midst of this show and what have you. And then she gets outsmarted, I suppose, is the way that Vince will try and explain it, by Rhea Ripley, who loses, loses the match, but loses via DQ, so retains her Raw Women's Championship. You see, because, I mean, there's there's moments where Rhea Ripley hit a riptide, but she was too close to the ropes, and Charlotte Flair got a foot on it, and then later on, Charlotte hit a natural selection, was going for the pinfall, inexplicably tried to also use the ropes for leverage, but Rhea Ripley was all already sort of kicking out. And then they're on the outside. And well, from where I was seeing it, it looked like Charlotte Flair kicked the steps next to Rhea Ripley's leg. And, and then Rhea Ripley had to sell that the vibrations had suddenly caused, you know, never ending torturous pain to her knee. So Rhea Ripley eventually, as, as they're fighting in the ring, eventually rolls to the outside and in desperation, I suppose is the way they would put it, nails Charlotte Flair with the, whatever it's called, the, the top a bit of the table, the slightly, you know, tiny wooden thing. Nails her with that. Might as well tap her sodding temple while she's at it and say, how smart as you there? And yet that knee injury that was, you know, meant to be the justification for Rhea Ripley to say, well, I need to take any exit I can while still retaining my championship, seemed to be fine. When she hit the uh, riptide about three seconds later. Dreadful stuff, this. Horrid. Really horrid. Like, I thought it was a formulaic, plodding, pan- like, pandering match as well. Like, the, the, the stuff that was good wasn't, wasn't even, like, wasn't even well presented. It was like a really disjointed match. They were, they were begging you in the layout of this match to like appreciate spots more than they were buying into a story because these characters together are incapable. They're, they're magnets with the same poles, aren't they? Yeah. Like they come together and they're just being forced apart by characterizations that are impossible to connect to. Um, WWE don't even know. Like Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair were announced separately because it's a title match. This. And neither of them got pop or boo dot wav. Somebody has been tasked with recording disinterestedhum.wav and they got that. Like, in an arena where they can replicate any reaction they want, they've recorded an audience five hours into WrestleMania when R-Truth has come out to do a seven-second dance break and you're really worried you're going to miss your last train back. Like, they've found that noise and they've thought, we might need this one day because we can't book. And they... They give both of them the identical reaction of bored fans. I cannot believe that noise even exists. Let alone they pressed it for champion and challenger in an acknowledgement of the bad job they've done. And somebody left their finger on it because it fairly well reflected the tone and pace of this match. Poor match. Um, Charlotte's lesson one, lesson two. Like... I'm not, even, I'm not even going to blame your impression for tainting her. I'm going to blame her for giving you the fodder for, you know, impressions that taint her because she was in that tone all night, all the talking, all the noise. 
like this take me back to one of the saddest periods of my life and not going to Tampa and instead watching a performance center WrestleMania from home and these two having a banger in the empty gym, <laughs> like in the misery of March and April, 2020. Oh God. And the cruelest and most like sort of fitting punishment of all of this is that the result promises one more go. So if you think the worst thing about this result is the execution and WWE's celebration of Rhea Ripley, as you say, tapping her brain, oh, that's really clever. No, no, what it means is that this must continue. Ah, like, the only way this, the only place this goes is via Nikki Cross into, I think we forecast this, didn't we? Maybe some sort of three-way, like, I need a fourth person who I actually believe in to come and take the title. Mm. I need, it's not Nikki Cross. I'm sick of these two. It can't be Asuka. I need, I need Bailey to get drafted. I need Bailey to win money in the bank and fix this. I need, I need Naomi. Oh, wait, she got a fed to bloody dewdrop or whatever it was last week. Finished. Like, yeah. I need Bailey to win the briefcase and just mop this mess up. Mm. Or, like, so awful this. On the wrong show for it as well, because this is person two of three where somebody's celebrating on their arse on the outside having stolen either a win or in this case, you know, a retention of a belt that was, people were doing frigging victory laps on the WWE official Twitter. I saw that, yeah. Jesus Christ. And like, still. Where's your self-recock inspect? As once said by Chris Morris, too, ironically enough, a sex offender. Like, just, oh, hot garbage. Thankfully, though, it'd be salvaged by the main event. Uh, Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre. Last chance Hell in a Cell match for the WWE Championship. Now, I will say this. That sounds a very sort of negative way of presenting it. I will say this. They beat the crap out of each other. Some nice spots with, like, MVP. Uh, well, he'd been watching the New Day versus the Usos from a few years ago, basically tying up Drew McIntyre in the corner with a kendo stick so Lashley could beat the crap out of him. And uh, a really nice, um, well, uh, sounds sadistic again there, really nice ref bump, getting just mm. nailed with the chair, and it fell on his face afterwards as well. It's like a double whammy. Yeah. And uh, MVP coming in, obviously getting involved, um, dragging the second referee out as uh, he's counting after uh, Drew hit the claymore. And then arrogantly thinking he can just walk around, walk out of the cell and be be protected by that. And it's been locked behind him. Brilliant, all that. Really good fun. But despite how much they beat the crap out of each other, and just look at Drew McIntyre's back for the welts that you saw in it. And there was that, I don't know what the injury was to like uh, Lashley's shoulder or something. They just nailed each other with kendo sticks, with unlimited chair shots, with really rough bumps to the outside and, and, and onto the, the cell, obviously. But again, pamphlet, all we will remember is something we've seen on Raw and uh, something that is, I mean, played into their match at WrestleMania. This was arguably more effective than what they did at WrestleMania because at WrestleMania, MVP just shouted a bit in front of a stadium full of people. But regardless, McIntyre setting up, having gone through tables and what have you and recovered and, uh, and taken, yes, yeah, just all kinds of punishment with the steps and, and all that. Setting up for a Claymore on Bobby Lashley. 
MVP grabs his ankle. Drew McIntyre turns his attention to him. And you think, or we assume, Phil and I at least did, and he's going to turn around into a hell of a spear, maybe two spears, three spears, or a chair shot or something. No. Roll up, grabs the tights. One, two, three, gets out of there. That's it. Drew McIntyre's last chance is gone. He can never challenge the WWE Championship again whilst Bobby Lashley's champion. People are saying, you know what you need to do now? Give him the money in the bank briefcase. You wouldn't need to do that if you booked him properly. A really, a microcosm of this show, that conclusion of that match, wasn't it? So much potential and then just them falling back into their old traits. Christ, are you not kidding? And, and yeah, completing the trifecta of people celebrating on their arse, on the floor. It's Bobby Lashley, of all people. A guy that should never even be on his arse on the floor selling, let alone celebrating. Um, and yeah, there was so much to love about this. Unlike... Shawn Michaels and the New World Order in 2002. This got to the point. Like, I tell you what I really loved. And I just thought it had been thought through. And I appreciate any time I see something on WWE that I think has been thought through. The cell is massive. The ring is massive. But these are massive men. So they did a lot of their fighting in small bits, which were the, like the, the arena floor. The floor between the cage and the ring is a very small space. So they looked giant doing things to each other in those tiny gaps, like throwing each other around in such tiny spaces made those like ginormous bombs they were lobbing all the more impactful. And I just thought it was cool and I needed a jolt of energy. This was like, this wasn't even like, like those cans that Benroy slugs. It was like those little five hour energy bottles. Mm -hmm. Like it was an immediate hit that I just, desperately needed to get me through the rest of this show almost maybe as if I knew the roll-up was coming deep deep down um you know it like it got to the point and it stayed there pretty much thought like the like the final third started to drag a bit basically like after MVP's first interference I kind of thought like right where's the finish coming from everything you're doing here is just building to a finish and I was trying to see it and I was exactly the same thing as you I was like that last distraction it's going to be like, oh, so like basically the MVP's distractions were bookends for a slightly obvious bit. And now we're going to get to the, the final stretch. Only it's not a stretch, it's a roll up and it's actually over. Mm. Like air out of the balloon stuff. Again, almost a sense that they're trying to craft a finish that feels deflating and feels disappointing. I, like it just felt hard not to reflect on the bigger picture at the end of this. Like Drew will be fine. And I don't think it's the worst thing for him to have to have something else to focus on. I think we were all in agreement that there was probably more to do with Bobby Lashley as champion and Drew was becoming a bit of a whinge bag, constantly wanting shots. Maybe that's what he's going to do tomorrow night on Raw, tonight on Raw though, isn't he? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I think this is, I think this is, it's worked out for the best. It was just a miserable finish. And I think I counted on this show six adverts for tickets for these cards that are back on the road, I can only assume that's desperation. They can't advertise tickets with a good product. So instead, they're just advertising over and over and over again on the off chance that you've missed the prior five adverts for tickets. I've tweeted words to this effect tonight. It's not a value judgment. I know a lot of people will be facing significant economic challenges post-pandemic, but I also know other people who are fortunate enough to have plenty of disposable income have been rushing to spend it at the earliest opportunities. Pubs, restaurants, 
events. There's a surge in everything for those that do have money to spend. And yet, WWE have got thousands of tickets available for these shows. Like, they deserve that. And I think this, as a farewell to the Thunderdome pay-per-view era, like, they may not want to just, like, sign off on the... like least just yet in case they just need to go back there as a way to hide the shame at not being able to flog tickets to their actual shows. What if they go back out on the road and it's such a disaster thing? I quite like that Thunderdome malarkey. We could just control the whole narrative ourselves and we don't need to worry about bloody ticket sales and costs. Like I could sack the whole crew. You know, need one crew once a month. It was brilliant. Didn't need to pay staff or anything. Like, I don't know. What if this return to the road is temporary? Vince McMahon releases a new like you know, we've got we know we're dealing with it at the moment. Like people are panicking about the the Delta yeah. strain. Maybe he's going to like have one called the Alpha strain that he just like seeps into society, so people have to go back inside and he has to get his beloved boo and cheer dot buttons back out because these bloody the, the poor souls that have bought tickets aren't giving them the reactions they want. So wrestlers stealing one. This is a bad show, Will One. This is a really bad show, and it brings me no joy to saying that because I've enjoyed our ASMR tour through. Mm-hmm the strangest period in WWE history. And it feels fitting, but not in the way I wanted, that it has come to an end on a roll-up. Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, I also felt terrible for some people in our comments going, we're getting a Brock party tonight, lads. I was like, yeah. we're not. I'll tell you that for free. And anything else that they were hoping for, major returns or anything, I was like, it's not going to happen and the fans aren't back. And like you say, they're just like, well, we don't have to do it then. If we don't do it tonight, then... Do you do our worst impulses as we've had over the last twelve or so months, like you say? Yeah, disappointing. Like hugely disappointing. We, you know, ridiculous optimism. I genuinely still want people to go back and listen to that podcast because what a monument it was for the time. Like <laughs> it was us thinking this might be some sort of a season finale, going daft, but really enjoying ourselves with the potential for the fantasy booking before they gave it away on television and it didn't even take place on the show. But <laughs> that's a podcast for a different event. Like, think about it now. It was only Thursday. Like, four days as a WWE fan tips your frigging world upside down. Madness, isn't it? Even these matches we didn't even preview. They didn't exist when we recorded that. Three of them, including the kickoff. Yeah. Well, what a perfect microcosm of... Oh, just everything really and who whose was the hand under the ring I'm still fascinated by that <laughs> popped out it was all over social media wonderful stuff that but yes let us know your thoughts on LNSL at what culture WWE on Twitter watch they can follow both of us you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit follow me at Adam Wilborn follow us all at what culture WWE and make sure you subscribe to what culture wrestling wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts uh, I will be getting Michael Sidgwick's thoughts on this show as part of the raw preview later on today and then of course tomorrow we'll be reviewing raw and all the fallout from hell in a cell you know what it is but thankfully um, the one saving grace from all this this has been our final ASMR from home podcast. The next show, Money in the Bank. Fingers crossed, touch wood if everything goes to plan. We'll be back in the office and uh, Michael Hamflet will be staring into my, I think my mum would use the phrase, piss hole in the snow of eyes as we conclude talking about a 
<laughs> and a very typical WWE pay-per-view for the time. But this has been the Hell in a Cell review. My thanks to Michael Hamlet. Thank you for joining us. Things can only get better, trust me. And we will see you soon.